I'm grateful this morning for the opportunity to be in the house and to be given the, the privilege and the task of ministering to you this morning in Pastor Andrew and in Pastor Chantal's absence. So I just want us to go uh, right into the word. We're going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 to 36. Actually, Matthew 14, 22 to 34, my apologies. So if you're turning there or if you have your Bible app, those of you who are online, you want to pull up a Bible app, we're in Matthew 14, 22 to 34. And it reads, immediately, somebody say immediately. He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, somebody say immediately. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He, being Jesus, said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, say immediately, reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Let's bow and close our eyes in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Father God, to be up, to be alive, Lord God, to be viewing online this morning. We're so grateful, God, that you would choose to come and tabernacle with us, to come and visit with us. We need your presence this morning. And we just ask, Lord God, that you would just perform, oh God, through us, this, through me this morning, Lord God. Perform the fullness of your word, Lord God, that you would honor the fullness of your word by speaking to your people this morning. You know what they need to hear. You know, Lord God, those who are listening online, what they need to hear this morning to speak to their very situation. I pray, Lord God, for biblical accuracy, oh God, in the delivery this morning. I pray, God, for theological soundness, Lord God, as the word goes forth this morning. And I pray that ultimately, Lord God, souls would be saved through the through Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And we pray this morning, Lord God, not only for ourselves, but we pray for every house of worship this morning in the city, in the country, Lord God, and throughout the world that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for those, Lord God, who we have fellowship with. We thank you, Lord God, for KCLC, and we thank you for Kingdom House, Lord God. We thank you for TCC and Hillsong Toronto, Lord God, and all those who preach the gospel this morning. May it go forth to the saving of many souls. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So today I'm going to be preaching to you out of the gospel of Matthew. And uh, for those of you who might think that you misheard me or that I mispronounced, no, I did not. I meant it. I'm going to be preaching. Somebody came up with this really cute word and they made a mashup of preaching and teaching. So this morning, my hope is to do a little bit of, of teaching and possibly a little bit of preaching as we go through the, this passage. 
And for those of you who don't know, the the Gospel of Matthew is actually written by one of Jesus Christ's disciples, Matthew. And he wrote the Gospel to the church, um, which would be the Jewish Christian church at the time. Um, And he wrote it for the purpose of speaking to the Jewish Christians about the fact that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was indeed the Son of God, that he was the promised Messiah. And what he did was he used the genealogy of Christ within this this gospel, and he also used the resurrection as certain proof of that. And further to this, we see throughout Matthew's gospel that Jesus is healing many diseases. He's performing miracles of all kinds. He's rebuking demons. He's feeding multitudes, both physically and spiritually. And of course, he's calming raging storms. And all of this, again, it's meant to point to Jesus as the messianic deliverer, not only to the Jewish people, but also to all who would believe on him. So at the time that this was written, the the church of Matthew's day first was facing many persecutions, many dangers and uncertainty, just the way that our church today is facing dangers and persecutions and uncertainties. And the uncertainty and the curious times that we are in right now, it can threaten to overwhelm us if not for the knowledge of and the dependence on Jesus Christ being our savior from all dangers, seen and unseen. So today, as we make our way through a light study of these verses, may we come to the same conclusion that Jesus indeed remains our savior, the only one with the power to deliver his people. So I think it's it's pretty safe to say that we can agree that right now we are living in interesting times. Some people would say that these times are curious and some people would just flat out say that these times are crazy. Nevertheless, uh, regardless of what choice of adjective you choose to use, it's safe to say that especially during this past year and a half, we have experienced a time that has caused many people to become perplexed, some of them to feel hopeless, and for more than we'd like to admit, to just be downright afraid. And I think that's why this series that that pastor has started and the way that I can't say the way he says it, but he's like, don't be scared. That is so relevant to our times because we need to be reminded that regardless of what might darken or threaten our sense of well-being and even our sanity, those who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ are already more than conquerors. So we do not have to give way to fear. And that notion, the notion that you actually don't have to give in to fear, that may be a novel idea for some of us, or even for many of us. The fact that you can encounter a situation, that something can be going on in your life that is scary, that is frightful, that might even be devastating, but that you can choose not to give into what was meant to elicit that kind of fear in you, that may be a very novel idea for you. And it doesn't mean that whatever you're experiencing doesn't warrant heightened emotions or even a heightened response. It simply means you don't have to give in to it. So I remember when my sons, I have three sons, I remember when our sons were younger. And like most parents, when your children are young, you have to take them to the doctor for a set of routine visits. Right? So they're called developmental visits. They're checking to see the, that your child is developing well. And for um, from two of my sons especially, I noticed that every time I brought them to the doctors um, to do these develop- 
mental um, visits that doctors and nurses, um, as they're putting, you know, the children through paces, sometimes they have to, you know, bend things or move things or push things or do things with the children that are uncomfortable for the children. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for the parent as well, if you're watching. Um, and I'd noticed that after they would perform these tasks on the children, they'd always make this comment. They'd be like, oh my goodness, your son's a trooper. My gosh, that little guy, he's a trooper. Look at this little man. He's such a trooper. I guess because, you know, my children weren't responding the way some children respond. They weren't crying or, or fussing or screaming or trying to get away. And they kept saying this. And I noticed that not just with one child, but with pretty much two out of the three, they'd always make this comment. And I never really paid attention to it until now. When I started studying this text, <clears throat> I found that for some reason the word trooper kept popping back up into my mind over and over again. And just so that we're clear, it's not trooper as in state trooper like a police officer or something. It's, it's T-R-O-U-P-E-R, that kind of trooper. And so I decided that I was going to look up the actual meaning of the word. And this is what I found. A trooper is a person who deals with and persists through difficulty or hardship without complaint. And so I, I think that most of us can agree that to some degree, all of us in here have been troopers. All of us in here have, to some degree, persisted through some kind of difficulty or hardship. And we've dealt with um, and we persisted through many things of all sorts. But I want to ask you, what do you do when you find yourself facing a situation that is so big that it threatens to overpower you at every turn? And how do you manage the, the storms of life that are so persistent that they begin to wear you down little by little? How much of a trooper do you feel like when there's a knot in the pit of your stomach the size of a soccer ball and it just won't go away? When there's so much tension in your situation that it feels like your faith is battling a sense of impending doom and the result is a fear that threatens to make you snap. Well, I propose that there are a few options that you have. For some people, they might just train, they might just decide to, to turn tail and run. They might just run away from the situation altogether. And for some other people, if it's possible, they may run to some kind of false sense of comfort. So they run to things like really bad relationships or they run to things like overspending or overeating or alcohol or drug abuse. And there are yet others that sadly, they end up succumbing to the fears and to the anxiety and they end up battling real anxiety and real depression that not only hinders their own life, but sometimes it has a negative impact on the lives of those whom they love. And yet there are still others that may fall away from the faith and may decide to themselves that the God in whom they once trusted is either unwilling or unable to assist them. But there's another option right here in this text. I believe that Matthew, as inspired by God, recorded this account not only to encourage the Jewish Christians and church in his time of Jesus's might, power, and ability to see them through hard trials, to see them through persecutions and scary times, but also so that the church of today would realize that Christ has the power to keep us and to save us and to ultimately deliver us not only from 
life storms, but also in the midst of life storms. Throughout this patches of scripture, we get to see what it's like to struggle through the fears of the unknown in a storm and still end up being a real trooper. If I would dare to give this sermon a title, it would be Stormtroopers. Disclaimer, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, don't come after me. It's not that kind of stormtrooper. It's a completely different kind. If you don't believe me, listen to the message. So before I go any further, I want to stress the fact that we can't be stormtroopers without the power of the living God. And I have to say this because as believers, sometimes when we approach God's word, we approach it in such a way and we approach passages like the one that we read this morning in such a way that we end up making the scripture about us. We make, end up making the passage all about us. It's all about our lives. It's all about our personality. And, and if we don't make it about our personality, then we end up putting way too much focus on the actual characters in the biblical accounts. And then we make them the star or the focal point of the story. But I want to be really, really clear. The Bible that you have in your hand, the Bible that you have on your apps, the Bible is all about Jesus. He is the star of the show. Everybody else is just the supporting cast. That includes us. Okay? So just, just so that we're clear, uh, there is an account in Luke 24, 27. This is after Jesus has resurrected. He has two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. They're walking down the road and they're discussing what has happened in the past week. The fact that Jesus Christ has died, that he's buried and that he has risen again. And Jesus comes and joins them. They don't recognize it's him. And Jesus starts talking to them about himself. And the Bible tells us in Luke 24, 27, that from the beginning, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounds to them in all scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then again, in John 5, 39, we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples and he says, search the scriptures for in them, ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they, the scriptures that is, which testify of me. Why am I stressing this so much right now? Because the account that I read this morning in Matthew 14 is also found in two other of the gospels. It's found in John 6, 16 to 21 and Mark 6, 45 to 53. And for the most part, all three stories tell the exact same story. Some stress different details, but they're all telling the same story. However, Matthew is the only one that includes this account about Peter. And the fact that he he speaks about Peter and he talks about the fact that Peter came out on the water. Typically, traditionally, we have tended in the church to preach this particular passage and make the entire focus Peter. Peter and his amazing faith. Peter and Peter walking on the water. But he is not the focus. Jesus is. So with that in mind, if we hope to become stormtroopers, there are five things I believe that we need to take note of in this passage and that we also need to put our confidence in. And the first thing is that Jesus speaks. Verse and that's found in verse 22. In times of distress, hold on to what God has said. He has the final, he is a man of his word. I, I, I want to take us back just a little bit before I get into this, just to tell you how we got to this place on the water. So it within just before all of this happens, Jesus gets word that Herod, the Tetrarch, which was the king, the ruler at that time, that he has put Jesus's cousin John to death. And word on the Jerusalem streets is that Herod is also out for blood for Jesus. 
And not only that, but Jesus decides upon hearing uh, about his cousin's death that he needs to take some time aside to pray. So he goes and he tries to get away from all of the people. But in trying to get away from all of the people, they spot him and they start to follow him. So he turns around. He has compassion on them. He decides he's going to spend time ministering to them. And he does. He sits them down and he begins to minister to them. And in the midst of ministering to them, he performs an awesome miracle. This is where he performs the feeding of the 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And after he feeds that many people, the people are so excited and so exuberant about that miracle that they decide they're going to take Jesus by force and they're going to try to make him king. They're going to try to politicize him and make him their ruler and overthrow the existing leadership. And so Jesus is like, no, nah, we're not having none of that. This is a good time for me and the disciples to dip. So he says to the disciples, I want you to go down to Genesaret. I want you to cross the sea. And I will meet you there. I'm going to stay behind and I'm going to dismiss the crowds. So this is where we catch up to him now in Matthew 14, 22, where he has sent them away and commanded them to go ahead of him to the other side. And verse 22 said that he made them go. The word that's used there is commanded. He commanded them to get into the boat. Jesus had already told them what the plan was. It was to meet on the other side. So by the time the storm hits, it's up to them in the middle of the storm to keep in mind what Jesus has said. Now, admittedly, when we're in difficult situations, it is hard. It can be very hard to remember what it was that Jesus said and to keep that at the forefront of your mind. And yet, if you hope to make it through your current situation, that is exactly what you have to do. What has God said to you even before your current crisis? Is there a promise that he made? Is there instruction that he gave to you? Whatever Jesus says is what stands. So stand on his word. If he instructed you to start a business before the pandemic, start the business. If he told you that he's going to make you debt free, continue to manage your finances well until you are debt free. If he told you that you're going to graduate, continue to study and plan for your graduation bigly. If he told you that he's going to heal you of that disease, stand in faith for the healing of that disease. He is a man of his word. Remember that Jesus speaks. What has he said to you? Jesus spoke to his disciples and told them to go ahead of him over to the other side. That means that there's not only an expectation of their arrival, there is also an expectation of his presence. And his presence is what makes the difference. So if Christ said it, we can believe it and we can count on it to come to pass. Even in the darkness of that night, with all of the wind and the waves beating against their ship, their destination and their destiny remained unchanged. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not, it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is one of the things that we can count on to conquer and to overthrow our fears. 
if we remember that even before your storm begins, Jesus speaks. I'm running ahead. We're in verse 23 and 24. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten back by the waves, for the wind was against them. The account in Mark chapter 6, verses 46 to 48a, read, says that Jesus was alone on the mountain praying, and the boat was out at sea. And when evening came, he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Now hold on a second. This is a part I have to admit I have beef with. I'm not beef with God, I'm not big enough. But I do have beef with this passage. I want you to understand that this storm, it's not just a really windy night with some choppy waves. This was a flat out storm. The word used in verse 24 for beaten by the waves, the Greek word is basanos, and it means to torture. The boat was being tortured by the waves. And the word for contrary or against, as in the wind being against them, that word is enantios, and it means hostile. So we have the disciples in a boat, in the middle of a sea, with torturous waves and hostile wind. But that isn't even really my beef. That's not my issue. My issue is that the only reason the disciples are in a boat in the middle of the sea is because they are being tortured by waves and fighting hostile winds because they obeyed what Jesus said. That's what I have beef with. And I can, I can already feel, I just saw it, some of you got a little bit, got a little tight, started to clench because you're clutching your pearls and thinking, are you saying, Pastor Michelle, that Jesus sent the disciples into a storm? I am not saying that. However, Matthew, John, and Mark, they, they said that he commanded, he constrained, he made them get into the boat and told them to cross to get to the other side. So what do you do when you find yourself in a frightful situation because you obeyed God? What do you do when you're fighting your way through something that has you disoriented and all out of sorts simply because you're doing what the Lord told you to do? The disciples are out here and they're being tossed by the winds and the waves for hours Hours in the middle of a storm, in the darkness of night, the wind whipping at their faces, the boat being turned all about, throwing it off course. And on top of it all, Jesus isn't even with them. But even though they can barely see their own hands in front of their face, Jesus sees them. Write this down if you're taking notes. If you're going to be a stormtrooper, you've got to be confident in the fact that Jesus sees. Know that even in your worst situation, when your visibility is limited, Jesus sees you. And I get that might be very hard for you to believe when you're right in the thick of the action, but it doesn't change the truth. Jesus sees you. He sees you in your struggle. He sees you in your weariness and in your tiredness. Jesus sees us when we are afraid and when we can't see him, he never loses sight of us. 
First Chronicles 16, 9 says that the eyes of the Lord went to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. The account in Mark 6 says that Jesus saw them in the storm struggling, even though they were in the middle of the sea. Let me put middle of the sea into perspective for you. This sea is about 21 kilometers long and about 13 kilometers wide. And the account in John 6, 18 tells us that the disciples were about halfway across the sea at the time of the storm. So that means they were about five to six and a half kilometers off of shore, out in the middle of the sea, when Jesus saw them. There's this colloquial saying, it came from a meme that right now, and, it's, and, it's, and it goes, I feel seen. And what that means is, I feel understood. I don't know about you, but when my life is going haywire, and when things are going crazy, I need to know that the Lord sees me. I need to be confident in the fact that no matter what is taking place in my life, after I have exhausted all of my options, that God sees me. And not only does he see me, but that he understands just how difficult it is for me in that given moment. I want to know that despite my weariness and my insecurities and my discouragement and my own lack of clarity, that my Lord and Savior sees me. I want you to understand God is not this sadistic observer, right? Jesus is not like he's not offshore standing and watching to see just how distressed can the disciples get, right? He's not this passive or this dispassionate or detached warrior that's kind of just sitting there like just on the dock of the bay just watching the ships rolling and then I'll watch them roll away again. That's not Jesus. The Bible tells us that while he was watching, he was praying. God, for more faith to believe and to have faith in a savior who prays for his people. The Bible says in verse 27, sorry, rather in Hebrew 7, the Bible tells us that Jesus is able to save them to the utmost that come unto him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Our Lord prays for us. Be encouraged in the knowledge that not only does Jesus speak, but Jesus sees. And tell somebody that if, if, Jesus, if Jesus sees me, then it's only a matter of time before he comes to see about me. Yeah. And that brings me to point number three. Verses 25 to 27 tell us that in the fourth watch of the night, so that's between 3 a.m. and 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water, but thinking that he was an apparition or a ghost of some, time, some kind, they became terrified, say terrified, and they cried out in fear, say fear. And verse 27 says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I don't be afraid. Be it. Say, be afraid. Don't be afraid. Put this in the chat. Point number three, Jesus soothes. Allow the power of Jesus's presence to quiet the loudness of your fears and to embolden your faith. This whole story, this whole passage, it's, it, it's a lot. 
And it, and it feels like a lot. I mean, the disciples are here. They're getting bata bruised by the waves, the wind all night long. They're tired. They're weary. They're troubled. They're uncertain. They're disoriented. They literally do not know if they are coming or going. Sometimes it feels like they're making a little progress. And then the next thing you know, it feels like they're going absolutely nowhere at all. I can attest to how that feels. And, and, and it's also somewhere between three and six o'clock in the morning. And they've been out from the evening. So they're exhausted. Does that sound familiar? When you think about some of the things that you've gone through in this past year and a half, words like tired, weary, troubled, uncertain, scared, disoriented are just a few that would aptly describe the way that you felt. And sometimes if things are bad, you feel all of those things within a week. And if it's really intense, you feel all of that within the hour. And yet, we are told that the disciples were going through for the entire night battling against these winds. And we may very well be able to empathize with how they are feeling at that very moment when they've just about come to the end of themselves and they have to face the defeating thought that their own efforts have gotten them absolutely nowhere. And then... Just at that moment, here comes Jesus crip walking on the water. If I'm joking, he wasn't actually, he wasn't actually crip walking. He was sea walking, but he was not crip walking. And, and he comes to them on the water and instead of sighs of relief and excited cheers of welcome, they start to holler. The reality is that when you've been beat down long enough and when you're tired, when you're exhausted, everything is exaggerated including your reactions. Let's unpack what happened for a moment. The Bible says Jesus came to them on the water. So personally, I feel really relieved at this point when I read this because after all that they've been through, finally, Jesus comes to their rescue. And for me, that's a comforting thought. However, the Bible says that they were terrified and because they were terrified, they cried out in fear. And the word for cry that is translated there, it's actually shriek. So they were shrieking, grown men shrieking in fear when Jesus first appears. Isn't it funny how our situation and the way that we perceive it can shift our entire view of a situation? Fear can cause us to lose sight of what's right in front of us and it will cause us to perceive help as hostility and turn what should be a moment of peace into pure pandemonium. And you might be saying to yourself that the words that I'm using are a bit exaggerative, but I want you to listen to what Jesus had to say to them in order to soothe their terrified hearts. He tells them, take heart. He tells his disciples to be encouraged, to be comforted. R.C. Sproul says that you cannot have courage unless there is the presence of fear. So the fact that he has to tell them to have courage, it is because he knows they are afraid. And then he says to them, it is I. The Greek words that are used here is actually ego eimi. And what it quite literally means is I am. He identifies himself as I am the same way that God did when he was speaking to Moses in Exodus 3:14, and he told him who he was. 
And then the third thing he says to them is, don't be afraid. And the word for fear is phobeo. That's the Greek word. And we get the word phobia from that word. And it lends more to the idea of not being afraid to the point of fleeing. Now, I don't know about you. I'm a bit of a nerd, so things like this are like, I eat them up. This is good to me. He turns up. They're shrieking and freaking out in fear. And Jesus tells them to take comfort because of who it is that is there with them. And he commands them not just to not be afraid, but he commands them not to be afraid to the point of fleeing. In other words, he says, don't be scared. Take courage. I am. So don't jump ship. I, I love Jesus because Jesus, Jesus is about that life, y'all. He's the only one who can turn up in the worst of times. And before even speaking peace to our situation, he speaks peace to us. And he reminds us of exactly whose presence we are in. And might I take this opportunity to tell you in times of desperation and fear, keep your head. Don't allow your fear to make you foolish. The fight or flight response is real. The disciples were in danger of making things worse for themselves if they continued being afraid. So hear the Lord when he tells you not to be afraid. He's also warning you not to flee from him and wind up doing something foolish because of your fear. The psalmist David in, 20, in, in Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For thou art with me, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so not only does he soothe us, but remember when I mentioned earlier that traditionally we've made this story all about Peter and his amazing faith? Well, this is the section where we usually hone in on Peter because the Bible tells us in Matthew's account that when Jesus identified himself, Peter was the only disciple to speak up and to say, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Here's a quick explanation though. Peter is not actually at that time when he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He's not actually questioning the veracity of Jesus's identity. What's happening here is that um, in Greek grammar, there's something called a first conditional sentence. And what it means is that the statement that was made before, everybody assumes that that statement is the truth. And so this, this piece here, this, if it's you would better be rendered since it's you tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus says, come Peter gets out on the boat, begins to walk him to Jesus on the water. He suddenly notices the wind and Peter begins to sink. He cries out to the Lord to save him. And the Lord immediately reaches out his hand to save Peter. But here's the thing. When I was studying this text, I noticed something that in all my years of reading, this, this particular account, and in all my year, years of hearing it preached, I actually never noticed. The wording in this scripture doesn't actually say that Peter took his eyes off Jesus. When I was coming up, I always heard him, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and began to look at the wind. But that's not actually what the scripture says. Verse 30 says, but when he, being Peter, saw the wind, some versions say that he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. 
So me being me, I decided that I needed to dig a little bit further into this and to go into the actual Greek rendering of this story. As you know, pastor always tells us the Bible is written in three languages. It's written in Greek, it's written in Hebrew, and it's written in Aramaic. So the New Testament is written in Greek. I decided I was going to go Greek and I looked into it. And according to the Abarim Greek lexicon, that verse actually states that Peter saw the wind and the word that's used after that renders it as being possessive. So it translates as Peter saw the wind in control. Peter saw the wind mightier. And that blew me away. Peter is in a crucial moment of faith and he notices the wind and he perceives the wind mighty, mightier, in control. And begins to sink. And at that moment, cries out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says that immediately Jesus stretches out his hand to a sinking Peter to prevent him from drowning. And this just made me reflect on how many times we look at circumstances in our lives. And without even realizing it because of how afraid we are, we look at the situation and we deem it to be in control. We decide that the circumstances are in control. We decide that the people are in control and they are mightier than the one who is actually in control. Let's be honest. When you've gone through a storm in your life that is bad enough and long enough and mean enough and scary enough, it gets increasingly hard to know, not to notice just how big and bad the storm and the difficulty and the fear is. But thanks be to God that Jesus is willing to reach out and save us and keep us from drowning in our overwhelm and from perishing in the storm. And our Jesus is still saving today. And that brings me to our fourth point. Jesus saves. No matter what the impending danger, Jesus is both able and faithful to save what Peter never could have realized in that moment was although his faith was failing, the disciples were actually being perfected in that moment. There is a late uh, Bible teacher and theologian by the name of Warren Worsby, and he has written a series of expositional commentaries, and he has shared some thoughts on storms in the Bible. And when he's speaking about this particular passage, this is what Warren Wiersbe says. There are two kinds of storms. Storms of correction, when Jesus disciplines us, and storms of perfection, when Jesus helps us to grow. Jonah was in a storm because he disobeyed God and had to be corrected. So for those of you who don't know, Jonah is an Old Testament prophet found in the first part of the Bible, which is the Old Testament. God told him to go and speak to people. He decided he didn't want to. He disobeyed. He got in a ship and went in the opposite direction of where God originally told him to go. God got back, sent a storm. Jonah gets tossed off the ship that he's on, ends up in the belly of a great fish. Then he cries out to God. He says that he apologizes. He'll do what God tells him to do. God says, all right, saves him. And that is the Coles note version the disciples were in a storm because they obeyed Christ and had to be perfected what exactly is being perfected their understanding of exactly who Jesus is verse 31 and 32 state that when Jesus took Peter back to the boat the wind ceased and the disciples worshiped Jesus saying truly you are the son of God and I need to stop here for a moment because worship is the right response at the moment of salvation. Yeah. 
Let's just put that out there. Two weeks ago, pastor opened the series of don't be scared preaching out of Mark 4, 35, 41. And at that time, the disciples were in a storm and they were in a boat, but Jesus was with them on the boat. And in that particular storm, Jesus speaks to the storm and calms it. And because of his command over the storm, the disciples in that particular chapter are left with a question. And they end that chapter saying, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, guess what? This week we're in another storm. And this week we have the answer. Truly, you are the son of God. This is the first time in the gospels that that Jesus is openly acknowledged and worshipped as the son of God. And that's the point of the entire passage. This is why I say it was never about Peter. This is the point of the entire passage that we would see Jesus, the son of God for who he truly is. And in light of Peter's failure, in light of the fact that he couldn't remain upright in the water, we see that Jesus truly had a one of a kind display of power when he came to them walking out on the water. Only God has such command over nature. And so I want to pause for a moment. And I want to take a second to give thanks for a savior who not only comes to us walking through our storm, but he comes to us walking on it. God has put all things under his feet. And knowing that, what do we really, what do we really have to fear? What devil, what demon, what disease? We don't even need to fear death itself. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 25 to 27, he being Jesus must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death for he hath put all things all things all things your situation my situation your fear my fear under his feet I am not a stormtrooper because I can walk on water you and I are stormtroopers because we know the one who can and because he's holding our hand And so what have we learned thus far? We've learned that Jesus speaks. We learned that Jesus sees, that Jesus soothes, and that Jesus saves. And it brings us to our final observation and conviction. Jesus sustains. Getting to your final destination is not based on the strength of your fight. It's determined by the reality of Christ's faithfulness. This passage of scripture starts out with Jesus commanding his disciples to go to the other side ahead of him. Given the circumstances that they are in, they would never have made it had it not been for the Lord sustaining them. And the word sustain means to give, to, to give support to or to relieve or to support the weight of or to buoy up as in being sustained by hope. And what we can do when we're, when we're looking at this story is we can overlook that the whole time this kerfuffle and these shenanigans are happening out at sea, the disciples are still on the boat. We left them, they're still there. 
the disciples are still on the boat trying to make it to the other side again let me help to put this into perspective how many of you guys watched any of the tokyo olympics this past summer anybody watch the olympics a couple of you okay so uh there is a rowing event there are a few rowing events in it olympians train four years to be able to row a small boat 500 meters which is a half a kilometer in under two and a half minutes it takes them four years to build up the strength to build up the stamina to build up the speed to ride half a kilometer to row half a kilometer in under two and a half minutes and the bible tells us that the disciples grown men possibly at least 12 of them are in a boat and they are rowing for hours and they have only made it five to six and a half kilometers that goes to tell you just how strong this storm was just how strong the winds were and just how hard it was for them to maintain through the toil and through the pain and the struggle and so the level of their exhaustion and weakness of their bodies at this point is barely manage manageable and imaginable rather nobody was about to put in more strenuous rowing any further at three o'clock in the morning and yet verse 33 to 34 says that jesus gets into the boat the seas calm the calm the winds calm and they come to the land of Gennesaret. john chapter 6 21 says that after he got in the boat that immediately they reached the other side jesus sustains them to their destination i want to dare you to look back over this past year some of us don't even know how we made it some of us don't even know how we made it without losing our minds but it is because jesus sustained us the fear-mongering that's all in the media the health crisis that may have hit our homes or hit the homes of loved ones the job losses the threats of job loss the fear that's being stirred up the breakdown of marriages and families all of these experiences that we have had that stir up fear and doubt and yet it is the lord that has sustained us and even as you're sitting here and even as you're online right now wherever you are watching this or where you will watch this there is something possibly that the lord has told you to do and you are so frightened that you're not even going to be able to do it the fear that's happening that's being spewed throughout social media and everything has us fearing the future fearing that we won't get there fearing that we won't get the opportunity to do what jesus and what god has given us to do but I want to encourage you, don't be scared. Jesus will sustain you. I want to leave you with this final encouragement out of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And I declare this, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding that it will guard that it will keep that it will sustain your hearts and minds in christ jesus glory to god if i have any stormtroopers in here put your hands together if i've got stormtroopers online put your hands together 
and give God a glorious praise hallelujah blessed be your name Jesus thank you Lord